Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You gotta understand something here. This music is the glue of the world. It holds it all together. Without this, life would be meaningless. What are you getting so crazy about? It's just music. Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cotta. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, Jim and I are going to get a performance and an interview from one of the most volatile bands in rock and roll, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. And later on, we'll review the new albums from Lindsey Buckingham and the Vivian Girls. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news. Master of Puppets by Metallica and the uh, puppets and the puppeteers are realigning as we speak, Jim. Uh, The (laughs) record industry is going through massive changes, as we have been documenting on Sound Opinions for the last few years. And one of the biggest changes of all is about to occur. Ticketmaster, the largest ticket company in North America, is going to lose a major chunk of its business in the next couple of months when Live Nation, the world's largest concert promoter, uh, is going to pull out of of the Ticketmaster business and create its own ticketing company. Mm. But Ticketmaster already has Plan B in place. It has aligned itself with Irving Azoff's frontline management company and creating a new company called Ticketmaster Entertainment. Now, Azoff is one of the biggest players in the music industry as we know it. He manages the careers of major, major artists who have played Ticketmaster venues for decades. Artists like the Eagles, Jimmy Buffett, Neil Diamond, Van Halen, Fleetwood Mac, Christina Aguilera, Stevie Nicks, Aerosmith, Steely Dan, Journey, and Guns N' Roses 
bands that have brought in millions and millions of dollars to the record industry over the years. Now Ticketmaster is getting into the management business with Azoff. Azoff, a man with nine lives. Like yeah. Clive Davis, every time you think he's dead, he resurfaces with some new plan to reinvent the business. Well, before management, Azoff ran MCA Records, one of the largest record companies in the world. He was known throughout the industry by the not very flattering nickname of The Poison Dwarf. <laughs> you know, Live Nation's doing these 360 deals with artists like Madonna, right, where they're going to be the record company and the touring company combined for, for these artists, you too, right? But with Azoff and Ticketmaster getting together, they seem to be moving in the same direction. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see. Azoff in the last couple of years has, has done his own bit of reinvention by signing these exclusivity deals with these major retailers. The Eagles record, he arranged that exclusive mm-hmm. deal through Walmart. The Eagles had a huge success with that record, seven, selling 7 million copies through Walmart stores. Did the same thing with the ACDC record. Is about to put the Guns N' Roses record exclusively into Best Buy. So the record industry is being reinvented. Azoff at the forefront. Now Ticketmaster wants a piece of his action. And it'll be interesting to see what Ticketmaster turns into. Once North America's largest ticketing company, now getting into artist management, could they become a record company next? We'll wait and see. Greg, that is one of my favorite songs from the punk era. Remember the undertones? Teenage Kicks. Great band. Great stuff. I never knew this, but Fiergal Sharkey has been moving from artist, he was the leader of the undertones, into uh, industry executive. And he recently became the chief executive of UK Music over in Great Britain. That's the umbrella organization that will represent songwriters, composers, musicians, record companies, managers, promoters, publishers, and producers in their battle to try to get the internet service providers to begin forking over some money for people who use them to illegally download music. I think that the record companies are realizing we were never going to stop people from illegally downloading music. So now we're going to go after the ISPs on the one hand. We're going to make people who provide you the Internet begin uh, paying for whether you may use them illegally. Kind of like making car manufacturers pay for for people who may speed. (laughs) I don't understand that. On the other hand, in the U.S., the Universal Music Group is teaming up with Dell, which is the largest manufacturer of PCs in North America, to begin adding preloaded MP threes from the Universal Catalog into new computers that are purchased from the company. A 50-song playlist is going to be $25 tacked on to your, your uh, computer. 100 songs for $50. It's going to be uh, DRM-free, so you can then copy it onto, you know, you can burn a CD and copy it to other players. You know, why would you want this? Why would you want to buy, you know, music preloaded into your computer? It, it's a weird state of affairs. Yeah, I, I mean, the point of the news story, Jim, is that the computer companies are at the forefront of this next front frontier of how the industry is going to try to figure out how to deal with peer-to-peer file sharing. The point with the universal thing uh, with Dell is the price point, okay? Instead of paying almost a buck for a tune as you would with iTunes, you're going to get a tune for about half that price yeah, according to this sense. pre-bundled thing. But the problem is you don't have a choice in what that song is. And I think there are two issues here. At what point 
will consumers pay for music, but also it's a matter of choice. And in this case, the industry has got half of it right. The price is coming down, but it's not giving the consumers any choice as Mm. to what those songs are going to be. And until the industry comes up with a solution in which it allows consumers to have access to all the music that's out there at a reasonable price point, and I think 50 cents per song is the beginning point of a reasonable discussion about what a reasonable price is, they're not going to win this battle. In a way, it's old news what Wilco is telling us. Uh, You can't hear the great bands on the radio necessarily. This has been true for a long time, Jim. One of the reasons for that is uh, this issue of payola, pay for play. The biggest names, the biggest corporations have the most money and therefore can create access for whatever songs they want played. So in other words, the major labels have been dominating commercial radio airplay for the last, you know, half century, basically. In 2007... A payola investigation found that the uh, major record companies and the radio stations have been colluding on payola. The record companies were forced to pay a fine of $12 million. The big radio companies, CBS Radio, Clear Channel, Intercom, Citadel, agreed that they have to reform their ways, and they will go ahead and start admitting more music onto their airwaves. They said, we are going to clear a path for independent music on commercial radio. Well, that that wasn't out of altruism. That was their version of community service. Instead of putting on the orange vest and picking up litter at the side of the highway as part (laughs) of their penance along with the 12 million, they were supposed to play indie music to make good. That was their debt to society. But guess what, Jim? That Wilco song still applies because the Future of Music Coalition has just released a study of the independent labels, 92% of which say nothing has changed as a result (laughs) of this agreement. Shocking! We still can't get our songs on the radio. Commercial radio will still not play independent music and you know it should be as obvious as turning on the, on the knob in your in your car stereo you turn on that uh, car stereo you listen to commercial radio and what will you hear nearly 100% of the time will be a record paid for by a major label you will not hear an independent record played on a commercial radio station in America today so nothing has changed despite this agreement that was signed in 2007 basically supposedly ending payola forever We didn't, uh, and what we have now will never be that way again. So we call upon the offer to explain. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and that is a track from Dig Lazarus Dig, one of the best albums of the year. Jim and I had the pleasure of reviewing that album a few months ago, and the band that made that record, Nick Cave and the Bad Seas, were on a rare North American tour recently. Cave, along with his accomplices, Mick Harvey, Warren Ellis, and the rest of the gang, stopped into Sound Opinions for an interview and a live performance. Well, well, rosary clutched in his hand, he died with 
tubes up his nose And a cabal of angels with, with finger symbols Chanted his name in code We shook our fists at the punishing rain And we called upon the we are here with the mighty Bad Seeds. What an honor. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Nick, you, you have lived literally three lifetimes already at this point in your career. You are a published poet, playwright, novelist, been in one of the greatest punk bands of all time, the birthday party, cult hero, singer-songwriter. Man, you've had a hit with uh, Kylie Minogue. You've been covered by Johnny Cash, and yet your last two albums with Grinderman and the new Bad Seas records, are among the very strongest you have ever given us. How are you doing this at this point in your career, finding the inspiration to be so awesome? Uh, <laughs> That's a hell of a question. <laughs> I don't I'm know, a fan. By, by not doing a lot of radio shows. <laughs> and um, Not hearing people tell you that all the time, well, yeah, right? Yeah, um, we just, we, you know, just do, we, we just work, work hard. One of the times I've interviewed you, uh, you told me a couple of years ago, and it was 2001, the challenge that you find is is in writing new songs that seem to go somewhere new for you all the time. That's really important to you. Do you feel like, like you've, you've had a real surge creatively with the Grinder Man record and Dig Lazarus Dig? Um, there, yeah, there seems to be um, something going on there. there there's, um, there was a certain type of song, I guess, that I was trying to write few years ago that seems to have gotten written and now there's other ones that need to get written and um but you know they're just there's there's always new stuff to write and i don't know mm-hmm. well you're holding a guitar nick and that's uh, a new instrument for you as well did that open up some avenues as a songwriter for you i mean i don't actually write that many songs on the guitar i just sort of paddle along here gives me something to do with my hands stops me pointing my finger so much i mean you you'd never played guitar until three or four years ago is that right um, well, I have touched one, you know. <laughs> Most people in bands pick up a guitar. And they're always around, yeah, sure. they're always around. But you were playing, last night you guys played the first two shows here at the Riviera in Chicago, and you played a fair amount of guitar on stage. I, I don't know, I thought I thought you were the Lou Reed to Warren's uh, Sterling Morrison in, at some points in that show. It was a very intense double six-string attack, or five strings if, if Warren was playing the electric mandolin. A four. four. Only, well, four on the viola. If you're paying attention. What is that weird little uh, electric guitar that you play? It's a mandocaster. <clears throat> Combination of a mandolin and a telecaster? Is that what we're saying? I guess so, yeah. Yeah. They were smart, the people at Fender, weren't they? <laughs> but it's a, it's a four-string mandolin. You got some pretty violent sounds out of that thing. It was like... I'm a violent man. Yes, you are. Yeah. <laughs> How about some violent music? You want to play something for us, guys? Well, Warren's ready for Dig Lazarus Dig, so we'd better play that one. Shall we do that? Yeah. All right, well, check this out, everyone, on public radio. One, two, three, four. <laughs> Nest up in the autumn branches From nothing but high hope thin air Collected up some baby blasted mothers They took their chances And for a while they lived quite happily up there He came from New York City, man But he couldn't take the pace 
He thought it was like a doggy dog world. Then he went to San Francisco, spent a year out of space with a sweet little San Franciscan girl. I can hear my mother wailing, a whole lot of scraping chairs. I don't know what it is, but there's definitely something going on upstairs. Lazarus, dig yourself. Lazarus, dig yourself. Lazarus, dig yourself. I want you to dig. I want you to dig. But meanwhile, Larry made up names for the ladies, uh, like Little Miss Boo and Miss Quick. Stockpiled weapons and took pot shots in the air. And he feasted on their little bodies like a lunatic and wrapped himself up in their soft yellow hair. I can hear chants and incantations and some guys mentioning me in his prayers. I don't know what it is, but there's definitely something going on upstairs. That's just do yourself. Lashes deep yourself, lashes deep yourself, won't you to dig? Yeah, won't you to dig? Anyway, to cut a long story short, finally found him. Mirrors became his torturers. Cameras snapped him at every chance. The women, they all went back to their husbands with secret smiles in the corners of their mouth. They ended up like so many of them do, back on the streets of New York City, in a soup queue, a dope fiend, a slave, then prison, then the madhouse, then the grave. Ah, poor Larry. Well, what do we really know of the dead? And who actually cares? I don't know what it is, but there's definitely something going on upstairs. Lazarus, dig your soul. Lazarus, dig your soul. Lazarus, dig your soul. great stuff you're listening to sound opinions that was dig lazarus dig from nick cave and the bad seeds a title song from their new album um warren ellis committing violent acts to a viola over here it was a <laughs> that was like people were wondering what was that sound what was making that sound that was basically uh warren ellis on a viola with uh an armada of foot pedals correct warren well it was the band aid too <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
we're going to have more of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media in just a minute. And then later on, Jim and I are going to review new albums from the Vivian Girls and Lindsey Buckingham. A little Jane as she wakes up from a dream Your gun like a jawbone down the waistband of her jeans Oh yeah, Mr. Sandman, he could recite today's lesson And as he says, there ought to be some kind of law against me Going down the street, yeah A little Jane pops up and Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. We're going to continue our conversation with Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds in a minute here. You know, Nick is a literary songwriter. He uses a lot of biblical allusions in his songs, and uh, I asked him about that. How does the Bible figure into his songwriting? I turn on the radio. I listen to the DJ. You know, a lot of a lot has been made, Nick. That you write a, a lot about. You use the Bible as inspiration, and at one time you were quoted as saying, uh, "The '80s and '90s were about Old Testament songs, and in the 21st century, it's kind of New Testament songs." Why has it been such an inspiration for you? Um, I look, a lot of books and stuff have been, you know, inspired me to do stuff. Well, I don't know. To be honest, I don't really know. I, I actually didn't. I tried desperately with this record to not let any kind of religion in but it just sort of kind of seeped in a bit seeped in through the back door yeah <laughs> and I stepped out on the streets all sparkling clean the early morning dew maybe it was you and maybe it was me you came on like a punch in the heart you lying there with the light on your hair like a dream you were your your uh, father was an English teacher and an administrator, and mom was a librarian. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, was literature always uh, as big a part of your upbringing as music? Uh, more so, mm. more so. Yeah. What Definitely. was it, What was the first book you remember reading that really you know made this a I huge? Used to impact? I love those uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs. Uh, 
Tarzan novels mm. as a kid. Mm-hmm. And and I remember reading it. There's some great bits of ri- great writing in there, and uh, and and feeling really kind of um, excited by that. Yeah, he's the greater of the Burroughs. <laughs> Better than William S. Oh, really? Absolutely. Wow, that's a radical statement. Yeah. Well, here we are <laughs> on public radio. <laughs> I don't know. Junkie's pretty great. Yeah, but he doesn't have rice. Oh, well, there, there, there you go. What inspired you to do music in the first place? Um, well, because I um, failed. Everything else. Was there ever any thought to being a writer instead of a, a songwriter? No, not really. I mean, I do. I, you know, I just don't see why I can't do whatever. Everything. Yeah. Can you tell us how the Grinderman record last year sort Warren, of... Warren, Warren, you, why don't you talk about that? Yeah, how did that... Warren, what was the perspective in how Grinderman led to Dig Lazarus Dig and the differences between those two recordings? Oh, man, that's a hard one. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I just came after it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, we... <laughs> just chronologically yeah. followed. I mean, well, it was a surprise. We'd, we'd been playing in this smaller formation Yeah. with Nick, and uh, that, over a few years, led to Grinder Man, and then we did a Bad Seeds album, because that was before it, and a bunch what, of what, other stuff was, what, what happens is that you know everything that you get involved in it it, it does inform the next thing it can't help but but influence the next thing you do and that doesn't matter you know it doesn't matter what you're if involved it's good. whether it's yeah or if it's bad <laughs> well, if it's bad too, if it's yeah, bad it true. tells you know, what not to do you know? it's a reaction yeah and it gets so, that out of your system um so it's all grist to the mill, as they say. Well, Grinderman is a nasty recording. It was nasty, you know, it's nasty on album. It's nasty live when you guys played it last year. I think that the, the most just harsh and Sexy. abrasive. Yeah, well, wonderful. I'm using nasty in, in, the, in the best sense of the word. Uh, I like nasty. Yeah, nasty. But also a celebration. A celebratory nasty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it was, it was Nick Warren and Martin and Jim, basically, for the bad seats. Don't the stars look good tonight? Thought electric Alice in the pale moonlight. Don't the moon look big and bright? Thought electric Alice. In the pale moonlight. To my mind, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of songs that potentially in uh, less practiced hands might have been a midlife crisis record. You know, talking about, oh, I'm getting getting older. and well, is, that a bad, is that a bad thing? No, and it, you did not make it into a bad thing is what I'm saying. And it seemed like this, you know, you're raging in the face of this and also poking fun at it and, and celebrating it in a lot of ways. And it seemed like an album you, uh, you know... You, you were going to take the opposite tack rather than, than, than sort of letting this get the best of you. You well, were going what, to celebrate. Le- letting what get the best of? Aging. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't go for that midlife crisis thing. I never had one. I mean, as much Maybe as I... Maybe I'm uh, having one, but I never had one. I just think that's, uh, that's just one more way of um, stopping you from having a good time, man. <laughs> Well, because I think I think what we were thinking of Nick is is like you know you see Lou Reed today and he plays with the the music stand in front of him and he's reading you know the lyrics to his new uh, songs as if he's giving a, a college lecture. Whereas I, I saw him play last year, play guitar at, at a kind of Leonard Cohen thing, mm. and he was amazing. 
he got up there and just slammed into his guitar, and there was none of that kind of stuff. So that so he's nasty so, again. Well, I don't know if it's uh, he's amazing. Yeah, to me that guy he can kind of do what he wants anyway, yeah. can't he? Um, I mean, who cares yeah. if he gets? I mean, it's not really for us to stand in judgment of that man. Mm-hmm. Us, us, uh, us lesser, yeah. us yeah. lesser mortals. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not exactly. I'm not actually talking about myself here. Right, 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 right. Yeah. You're talking about yourself, Mick? No, you know, I, I mean, think he's talking about you. Oh, oh, I see. Well, I know, but we're critics. That's the, what we to do. To the observant We've uh, been nice listener. to you, though. I mean, we both, Cotton and I both listed Grinderman's record last year as one of the best of the year. We, we've been uh, waxing rap side. But, uh, you know, no, so. That's, that's good. No, but I mean, look, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I, I, I love Lou Reed. Yeah. And um, everybody goes through different things to try and get to different places and he seems to continue to sort of be adventurous with what he does and try and find different places for his music to go and that's i think that's what we try as well sometimes it may not be the right place to go or the wrong place who knows it's just um it's it's just where things have to go on, on occasions i don't think it's an exaggeration Although, you know, I'm a mere mortal, so my critical <laughs> facilities are, may be suspect. But to say that the Bad Seeds, Nick, are one of the, the great backing bands in, in rock history. Ooh, when you sit down and write, are you writing for seven or eight well, people and imagining what the Bad Seeds will do? No, but, but I, I, have a, I have a certain confidence that the, the sort of bunch of chords that I write and the words, that when I take it into the studio, this band will do something amazing with it. You know, mm. and I, I mean... When I'm writing stuff alone, I, I, I uh, and it, it just sounds like it doesn't make any sense to me at all, really, until I get it into the studio and, and the band sort of knock it into shape, you know. So you sort of realize what you've created once they take it and begin to oh, add totally, their personality. Totally, yeah. Mm. yeah. And it's it's a tremendous body of work. You're 14 albums into a career with the Bad Seeds. How do you keep it fresh, Nick? Is there any kind of uh, any kind of tricks that you use? I mean, how do you know when you've done something new? I guess that's the goal every time out. Well, when it stops sounding like something old. <laughs> I mean, that's really what it, what it what it's like. It's to go into the where I work when I'm writing stuff on my own and keep writing until you start getting a certain feeling about what you're writing that is um, that is different to the feeling that you've had before, or a sort of excitement about what you're doing. And that sometimes takes quite a while to get to that point. But I don't think anyone's uh, interested in just making the same record over and over again. Mm-hmm. I mean, are you able to be brutally honest with each other? I mean, are there pretty good BS detectors in the band where you can actually have arguments and say, you know, that's not working, that stinks, you know, we need to start this over? I mean, no. what are those discussions like? <laughs> doesn't, doesn't happen? Doesn't happen. <laughs> Even Mick, after being with you for all these years, can't come up and say, you know, Nick, this one is not top draw. Definitely not. No, no, no. They, they, they have they have one song. They usually grab one song yeah. and kick far it to far too frightened to do that. <laughs> you know, a couple of years ago, uh, Nick, you were living on a houseboat and you would walk to an office uh, to write every day. You were man. Have you been insane. stalking me or something? Yeah, I've written about you, you out. before. See, you okay. know, it's one of these deals where you're on the phone in in the UK or whatever. I'm here. Well, you're freaking me out. The album comes out. We talk every year, but we've just never met. You know, okay. and then I go see the show and. You're on stage, and I'm, you know. Anyway, well, I don't. I don't live in a houseboat anymore. No, no, no. I know, but do you still go to an office every day and write? You, you were describing this very disciplined way of working, where you know, just like 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 a nine to five yeah, job. Well, well, I I, I have to uh, be on my own to write lyrics. I'm not able to do it any other way. So, 
so I go to a place on my own and do that, yeah. So the lyrics and maybe a few chords and bring that to the band, and then it, then it becomes a song. That's pretty much, yeah. Pretty much the working method? Yeah. Wow. And you do a lot of, uh, everybody in the band does a lot of outside work. Uh, I know you do outside projects. Uh, I, I know you, I, I think you and Warren are working on a, a film score, or is it is it done? Well, you know, nearly finished the, 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 uh, the score to the uh, film The Road. The, of the Cormac McCarthy novel. Wow. That's pretty cool. That's going to be great. And that's I all? mean, the, the movie's going to be great. Mm-hmm. And is that instrumental music or any lyrics? No, words? no, no. They don't want me singing on it. <laughs> no one wants me singing on it. <laughs> yeah. It's post-apocalyptic enough. Uh-huh. Mm. Well, what's the next year like, though? Uh, you said the film score. What, what else is coming up for you? Um, there's a new novel um, that comes out in... Uh, middle of next year, I think, and um, new Grinder Man record. That's the next thing we're making. How did you find time to write another novel in between? I mean, because you you've been putting out a lot of music. There, you know, the Bad Seas have been prolific in the last three four years. Well, there's a lot of time on the bus. We've been touring a lot, and mm. I, I I wrote it on the uh, tour bus actually. Wow. That's yeah. very disciplined. <laughs> so you work well, hard, I mean, you, you should come on our tour bus. <laughs> oh, it's, it's grindingly <laughs> tedious. Now, you write on a laptop or uh, write it out longhand? I, I, I wrote it by longhand. Yeah? Wow. Yeah. Old school. 20 years on the tour bus. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, certain, it's a certain kind of novel, so I just had to keep my ears open and pretty much write down what everyone said. You're just transcribing what's I'm happening I'm transcribing the pornographic thoughts of my... Uh, fellow colleagues. <laughs> there you go. It's not writing, it's typing. Mm. Although in your hand, yeah. long hand writing. That's right. Um, it's been a pleasure to have you guys here. That was what you were going to play for us, right? Or we can't persuade you to play another? I can do whatever you like. We can, we can play uh, you know, just about anything. Tupelo would be awesome. <laughs> Look a look yonder, look a look yonder, a big black cloud coming, yeah, a big black cloud coming, yeah, come to Tupelo, come to Tupelo, yonder on the horizon, yonder on the horizon, stop the mighty river and suck the damn thing dry. Well, just a thunder rumble, just thunder rumble, rumble hungry like the beast. The beast didn't come up, the cometh down. The beast didn't come up, the cometh down. The beast didn't come up, the cometh down. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, too low. Well, the nag is pooped and crazy, oh, and got over to below. 
Wow. (laughs) Tupelo from uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Great song, great band. Uh, Thank you. Nick and the Bad Seeds, thank you so much for being on Sound Opinions. Thank you very much. Hold the Christmas in your palm now, see it split in For all of Nick Cave's live performance and footnotes on this and every show, visit soundopinions.org. Greg and I will be back in a minute on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media with reviews of the new albums from the Vivian Girls and former Fleetwood Mac guitarist Lindsey Buckingham. Wolves that carried your babies away And your kids drip from their teeth The nights are long and the day It offers no relief You spread yourself like a penitent On the mad vibrating sand And to your teeth Arrange to meet your midnight Everybody's coming around my place Everybody's coming around my place Everybody's coming around Baby, don't you see Everybody wants Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. That is the voice and guitar of Lindsey Buckingham, the auteur of Fleetwood Mac for the last 30 years and also a solo artist in his own right. He's got a new solo record out called Gift of Screws. It's uh, his second record in three years, but only the fifth of his career, stretching back to the 70s. His 2006 release, Under the Skin, was more of a an acoustic, folk-based kind of record Gift of Screws amps up the electricity and the rock and roll quotient considerably. Buckingham has consistently done eccentric work as a solo artist, apart from his more polished production work with Fleetwood Mac. Had numerous hits with Fleetwood Mac. The solo records seem to be reserved for his more private bedroom-type recordings, and this is no exception. Before we review the record, let's listen to a track from it. It's the title track, Gift of Screws, from Lindsey Buckingham on Sound Opinions.
That's Gift of Screws, the title track from Lindsey Buckingham's new solo album. Though on that particular song, John McVie and Mick Fleetwood, his uh, bandmates in Fleetwood Mac, are actually backing him. A little taste of what uh, could have been a Fleetwood Mac song. You know, I've interviewed Buckingham a couple of times, Greg, as I know you have. And one of the things uh, he, well, the thing he always says when you ask him about why are you so slow in putting out solo albums, he says, <laughs> you know, every time I think I have one together, Fleetwood Mac calls me and all the songs get sucked up into the Fleetwood Mac project. Right. That wasn't the case with Under the Skin, an album that I admired for its artistry more than I actually liked. It, it was so mm-hmm. quiet and precious. And then this record uh, popped on my desk and it's got this uh, title, Gift of Screws, that references the poetry of Emily Dickinson and I'm like mm. all right but no he's having fun here yeah. he is cutting loose he's turning up the amp he's doing roots rock at one moment and you know power pop at another and it's just great to hear a guy who's so eccentric and so talented and so all over the map just basically rocking out and having fun yeah it is a an exciting record for Lindsey Buckingham one you didn't expect at this stage in his career I mean there were a few overt references to Fleetwood Mac in it but basically it's a far more eccentric record than he ever would have made with yeah. Stevie Nicks in the same room and I think the key to it is his guitar playing he's a, an incredibly gifted guitar player and you hear all sorts of different types of guitar playing on this record that riffing that barbed wire riffing on Wait For You oh, kind yeah. of a throwback to what Peter Green was doing in the early Fleetwood Mac before mm-hmm. Buckingham joined the band. There's also this kind of madman aspect to this record, the demented laughter that, that is coursing through some of these songs, the, the way he's using his vocals and not trying to sound pretty at all, really hitting on some dark, dark subjects, including the whole notion of, you know, selling out. Have I sold my soul to Fleetwood Mac, I believe, is the question that he is asking in one of these songs. So from that standpoint, I think this is a far more interesting record than he ever could have made with Fleetwood Mac oh, at this yeah. stage in his career. And uh, certainly one of the better records of the year. It's sort of floating under the radar because it doesn't have that big brand name attached to it. But uh, this is a very, very strong record. And I think on the buy it, burn it, trash it scale we use here at Sound Opinions, it's a buy a record for me. Yeah, I will have to agree. A buy it record for Lindsey Buckingham. That is a song called Tell the World by the Vivian Girls, a trio from Brooklyn. It happens to be a video that's getting a lot of buzz on the net. Very cute, very lo-fi. This is a band that's building considerable buzz, Greg. As I said, based in Brooklyn, three young women. Debut album originally released in May with a limited run of 500 copies. Just came out again, issued on CD uh, in October. They were starting to build at South by Southwest last March. I think it's reached a crescendo with the recent College Music Journal conference in New York. People are talking about this band. Named, interestingly enough, the Vivian Girls, for the outsider artist from Chicago, this man who was a janitor, Henry Darger. Um, He's really controversial because 
On the one hand, it's very naive youngster art. And the reason I'm talking about this is because I think it plays into the aesthetic of this band. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, these young, sort of sexless, naif children. But he invented this fantasy world where these children, the Vivian girls, were were slaves. And they were tortured by unseen evil forces. It's very disturbing stuff. The Vivian girls are playing with this in terms of, on the one hand, we're pretending we're nine years old. We just picked up these instruments. On the other hand, it's very, very sophisticated music. Let's play a song from it and give some thoughts about this self-titled debut by the Vivian Girls. This tune is entitled Where Do You Run To? on Sound Opinions. you run to from the new Vivian Girls record, the self-titled debut, I think the Darger reference is very apt because Darger talked about this collision of innocence and extreme violence in that epic work that he created. And I think that's what we're hearing here. Those innocent voices against these scuzzed up guitars and these yeah. trash can drums. It's intentionally lo-fi. The production is, is, you know, it's not about the production. But there is a sound here, and, and it's a cool sound. I, I think that's an absolutely haunting song. There mm-hmm. are these explosions of exhilaration where they're talking, I want to tell the whole world about the new love that I found. 
And then there's a dark undertow in a song like that where they, they almost seem haunted by this idea of, of walking into this new world or this new love and finding out what it means. You know, young women walking into the adult world and having yeah. all of their innocence corrupted by it. It's a powerful thing. It's a powerful theme. It has been the bedrock of rock and roll for as long as we've known it. They're not doing anything new, but they're doing it very, very well. And I think this record is exactly what it needs to be. It didn't need to be any longer. Some people say, well, it's only 22 minutes. It's only 10 songs. I no, say, it's, it's just right. What more can you do? I mean, these are perfect little pop songs, and I think this is a buy-it record. I agree. I agree it's a buy-it record. I'm overcoming my, my dislike for the uh, lo-fi aesthetic. I am not a fan of other bands like Time's New Viking that are bringing back that Guided by Voices and yeah. tons of four-track artists before them. You, you know, I mean, it's like, yeah, you can make a record that sounds like it was made in your basement with no talent, but why do that when you can make a record that sounds good? I don't, yeah. I don't know. On the other hand, the songs are so strong here that they transcend the production, they transcend the hype. You should buy the record. So two enthusiastic buy-its from Jim and I on the Vivian Girls as well as for Lindsey Buckingham. Next week we have a fascinating interview with the guy who got left out of this most recent Eagles reunion. <laughs> Don Felder, a guy who wrote some of the great songs in the Eagles canon, a great guitar player for 30 years in that band with an illuminating biography of how that band rose to fame and then fell apart. Great, we have some thank yous to say. Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds were recorded by uh, Mary Gaffney and Sarah Toulouse. Sound Opinions was produced, as always, by our ace team of Todd Bachman, Jason Saldana, and Robin Lynn. And our fearless leader, our executive producer, a man who was really frightened, I think, when the Bad Seeds were running around here like pirates on the pirate <laughs> ship, Tori Southside Malatif. Sound opinions, everyone's a critic. Now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Hi, my name is Anne. I live in Chicago. And uh, you guys have just asked on the air if people would rather have a hard copy or just kind of keep it in their computer, which can always get erased. Um, I'm one of the only people I know who still buys actual CDs, and of course I get stuff burned to me from friends, but um, just to me, I just like to have the album. I like to see the artwork. I like to have the hard copy. For me, it's like a piece of memorabilia, and uh, it's a little bit more valuable than just having the music. Thank you very much. Bye. Hey, what's going on? My name is Saba. I'm from Edmonds, and um, I was just calling about... Uh, the whole leasing of audio tracks, and um, I just wanted to put in my two cents. The idea that people are going to want to have their music in some collection that they can't honestly really get to, because with Wi-Fi, it's so hard to, you know, to find Wi-Fi connections everywhere. So I just think it's a ridiculous idea, and I think it's just another last chance of grasping something that they just really can't at this point. They need to try to kind of like open up, stop trying to monopolize the audio business and do something different. But, yep, that was what I had to say, my friend. Bye. Hi, this is Arthur from Schaumburg, Illinois, and I just heard your show with the Radio Doctors. And I, like your caller, was pretty down on music, enjoyed a lot of the stuff that came out in the early 90s, and I just wanted to thank you guys. Uh, without appointment, you guys turned me on to Parts and Labor, 
and I've got the first two albums, and I really think they're great. Uh, inspired me to listen to some good music again, and I just heard your review of the new album, and I'm looking forward to purchasing that one. So I just want to thank you guys for turning me on to a really great band. Thanks. Bye. Hi, this is Mary Alice from Juneau, Alaska. I really loved your playing that song, Bernadette. I had heard it before um, and maybe never really paid attention to it, but you're right, the emotion with which that song was sung was really awesome, and I was glad you paid such a tribute to it. So, thanks. Bye. Hey guys, this is Allison from Durham, North Carolina. I was listening to the show yesterday with my 15-month-old daughter, Ella. I had promised when I adopted her three months ago that I wasn't going to be a Barney mom, that she was going to hear real music and not just the garbage that they make for kids. So she definitely developed some taste. She really loved Al Green. She likes tons of hip-hop. And she has apparently reserved a special hatred for Shania Twain. But when you started playing the Wire song, the 15th, she started in the middle of the kitchen wiggling that can only be described like Goldie Hawn on an episode of Laugh-In. It was hysterical. I wondered if it was just a fluke. So last night, some friends were over, including um, a 10-year-old who had also been listening to the show at the same time I was at her house. We started playing it, and sure enough, off she went again. She's been listening to it all day and wiggling all over the house. Thanks for a great show. Bye. No more messages. To give us your opinion on sound opinions, call our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with sound opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.